0: rhh10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com amazing jane ship around the world so please check their website for details hi there thanks for joining us today we're going to be talking about nutrition trends for runners in 2023 Now, back in December, Karen attended a three-day conference, which was focusing on the latest research and trends. So we thought we'd share some of the information with you during the course of the year, but we're going to kick off today by focusing on overtraining syndrome and RED-S, which uh, may intentionally or unintentionally happen for some runners. And we're also going to be talking about how dietary fiber can influence both nutritional status and running performance so we hope that you'll enjoy today's episode and if you've got any questions about the research that we share please do get in touch hello and welcome to she runs eats performs the podcast for female runners of all abilities please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith nutritionist friends and runners who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome, I'm Aileen and I'm here with Karen as always. And today we'd like to be discussing with you some nutrition trends for runners In 2023, for the new year. But before we begin, uh, I'd just like to say a warm welcome to our regular listeners. And also, if you're listening for the first time, a big welcome to you too. And we hope you enjoy this episode and all the others uh, to follow. And uh, please look back. We've got quite a lot of different uh, episodes which may help you. So look in the back catalogue and see if there's anything that you might like there. So, Karen, Really looking forward to chatting about this today, but it might be useful just to help everybody understand the topic and uh, the reasons behind why Nutrition Trends for 2023 are up for discussion today.
1: Yes, hi, Alien. Hi, everybody. Yes, absolutely, Alien. There are actually a couple of reasons why I decided to to choose this topic. The first reason is because just before Christmas, I attended the International Sports and Exercise Nutrition Conference, which is known as Iync in Manchester. And it occurs at this time each year, and I have to say it is the highlight of my CPD, so that continual professional development, and it's the highlight in my calendar of CPD through the year. I just love it because it brings together all the scientists that I and we follow and the scientists that we respect. Now, this conference tends to focus on the most Recent most current and up to date science and research in the world of sport and exercise nutrition. So I just thought it would be helpful to share this information with our listeners so that they feel that they're informed when they're making food and nutrition choices. So they're coming from an informed place. But on top of this, I also think that there is so much information out there in the media about what to eat um, to enhance performance. But actually, how much of it is actually evidence based and factual rather than just being sensationalist? And this can lead to confusion with people on what might be the correct food and nutrition choices for them and thinking about our listeners and, and their running goals. So I thought in this episode we could maybe try to demystify some of the complex and current science on food and nutrition for exercise in sport generally but for our listeners specifically so that they again can come from an informed place when they're making their choices for the run their food choices for the run training so those are the two key reasons why I thought this might be a good subject Aileen. Yeah,
0: well it's very timely and it's a really great opportunity for Because you you and I haven't really had an opportunity to discuss what you were learning when you were there. It's always really interesting to find out um, what was top of the agenda. And I think because it was just at the end of the year um, and before Christmas, um, we sort of moved on, really. So it's nice just to take a moment to, uh, to have a chat about it. So you mentioned that the conference was over three days, so there's no way in one episode we can cover all the information and knowledge that you attained Um, but it would be great to look at two key topics today and um, hopefully they could support our listeners and I'm sure that you know throughout the year you'll be sharing lots more with us. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And you're
1: so right. There is just so much great information that comes out of these conferences, but just too much to mention here. Um, So, so yes, I agree. Maybe looking at two key topics um, would be a great place to start today. So the two that I've chosen to discuss are overtraining syndrome and relative energy deficit in sport and how um, they potentially overlap. And then thinking about dietary fibre and its potential role in sports performance. And then what I thought we might do if we've got time is to end with um, a short overview of some of the other topics that were presented um, at the conference, because I do think that our listeners would benefit from all this information and insights. But I was thinking, like you said, Aileen, if we do run out of time, I will speak about them in, in future episodes, either bringing them up when we're speaking about other other topics or doing um, doing uh, another episode similar to this where we're really focusing on what I
0: learned. So how does that sound? That sounds absolutely perfect. Perfect plan, Karen. Um, so let's get started. So To begin with, you mentioned overtraining syndrome and the potential overlap with red S. Now, we have talked about these topics in the past, um, so it might be helpful if we just give a quick recap on particularly the definition of those two sort of conditions. Um, So we we talked about overtraining uh, syndrome um, back in episode six. So a long time ago, the performance effects of overtraining syndrome was the title of that episode. And then we also focused on Red S specifically in episode 54, which was called Eating Enough to Run. So thinking about overtraining syndrome, that's really a condition associated with a long-term imbalance between training and recovery. And it's generally characterized by reduced sports performance experiencing fatigue, and maybe some mood disturbances. And it's thought that um, this can affect between 20 and 60% of athletes throughout their careers. And it's grouped with um, functional and non-functional overreaching. But compared to these conditions, um, overtraining syndrome is the most severe of them. And it really reflects a, a chronic accumulation of training and non-training stresses that can take months um uh, and going on to years to develop and to fully recover from. Um, so as I said we do talk about this in episode six. So if anybody's you know really interested in the background it might be uh useful to to listen to this episode. So that's a little bit about overtraining syndrome. Uh, Karen, could you maybe recap on the definition of of, uh, red S for everyone, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was back in uh, 2014 that the International Olympic Committee defined RED-S, so that's that relative energy deficit in sport, as a syndrome resulting from relative energy deficiency that affects many aspects of physiological function. So that I'm reading there exactly what um, the IOS said. And it is thought that... um, Um, That it's as a result of an inadequate energy intake compared to energy expenditure of exercise and clearly for daily living as well. And this resulting in poor health and reduced sporting performance. So that's just a a bit of an overview of the definition
0: of RED-S. Great. Thanks for that, Karen. So now let's think about how these two conditions may overlap. Uh, We've already mentioned that both would lead to reduced sports performance, which you would expect. Um, But what would you say that was uh, new about these conditions? What did you learn uh, at the conference, Karen, that brings us up to date? Yeah, well, what I what I learned was that the current research into into
1: these two conditions is focusing on low energy availability. So that's that inadequate energy intake compared to the energy expenditure of exercise that I mentioned earlier. And that that these this low energy availability possibly underpins both of the conditions in the past regarding um, overtraining syndrome, research really has only focused on the training and its effects on development of the condition. So just about the overtraining leading to the syndrome. Interestingly, Aileen, in in our episode, that one that you mentioned way back, um, episode number six on overtraining syndrome, we do discuss the potential link with energy intake in that episode so uh, you know when I was listening to them at the conference I thought we were actually ahead of ourselves uh, in our thinking regarding that because we were really sort of linking it potentially to that low energy um, intake. Now I have to say that at that time when we did episode six there was some research trying to make that link but it is only now that it does really appear to have opened up and become more of a focus so that's really interesting that's yeah, so
0: really all about you know it's not just about training too much it's about fueling enough for your training exactly that's the message, isn't it
1: Exactly, and I think that um, title of, of the other episode, "Eating Enough to Run," is 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 a, a really apt title because it's about eating enough, but not too much and not too little, so that you've got um, you, you've got uh, th- that energy availability that you need. Now. Trent Stellingworth who he was the, the the he was leading this particular lecture at the conference now he was making the link between low energy availability leading to low glycogen so that low stored energy resulting in that low training quality and what he also highlighted here was that the low energy availability Uh, in most cases, appear to be due to low carbohydrate availability. So basically, the the athletes that he was, you know, the research he was speaking about, the athletes were not consuming sufficient carbohydrate to fuel their training. So like you said, aliens are about um, eating enough to run. Mm. he actually um, published a review paper in 2021 and it was titled Overtraining Syndrome and Red Shared Pathways, Symptoms and Complexity. So really looking into this and what the overlap was. Now, he and his team really wanted to showcase that much of the negative outcomes of training overload with or without an overtraining syndrome diagnosis could be primarily due to a, a misdiagnosed underfueling. So potentially having that red S, but it hasn't been diagnosed. And that's due to this low energy availability and or that low carbohydrate avail- availability. Now, from this review um, and and. at at the conference, what he was highlighting from this paper was that of the 21 papers that they looked at, so studies that had been carried out, 18 of them, so that's 86%, um, showed that participants had a reduced energy availability or low carbohydrate availability as the primary reason for the development of either overtraining syndrome or red S. so that's really high actually 18 out of 21. and then of that 18 four had adequate energy availability but low carbohydrate availability so really what they were saying was that the the results here was suggesting that increasing carbohydrate intake could be beneficial independent of actual energy availability so, um, so really interesting and new new data. And he he also stated that from the review that they did, they managed to deduce that many overlapping symptoms in these two conditions. So um, he he didn't elaborate on what these symptoms were. And uh, regarding the actual paper itself that he was discussing, I could only gain the abstract, uh, gain access to the abstract, which was really frustrating because it only gave me limited information. But then, you know, we've done lots of research in the past regarding these two conditions and I did a bit more. And um, from my own research, some of the symptoms that I noted that appear to be common in both include the poor performance, which is what you would expect, poor recovery from training, the fatigue and the mind mood symptoms, which was, you know, some of those you, you mentioned at the beginning, Aileen, when you were speaking about overtraining syndrome, and they do overlap with RED-S as well. So, uh, so yeah, uh, um just some interesting information there i think
0: yeah it's really interesting karen and i think you know eating enough to run is one thing but also it's eating the right proportions of food (laughs) as well is going to be really crucial so it's interesting that that was part of uh, their findings Mm -hmm. Um, what one of the things that i'd like to highlight is that sometimes low energy intake um can be a deliberate decision made by an athlete or or indeed a recreational runner but it can also happen accidentally for some people due to lack of knowledge um, particularly on you know how much they should eat uh, and being able to adapt that related to their level of training uh, and I think it's this lack of knowledge often is the reason that people end up in one or both of these conditions. um, You know, they might not intentionally plan to be there and they might not even consider that they're in that situation
1: yeah I, I totally agree alien and, and that's really why I think it was a, it's a great subject to to um talk about and and um information to highlight today because really any of our followers could potentially end up in a low energy availability state unwittingly like you say sort of inadvertently um ending up there so really what we would highly recommend is that you you listen to episode 6 and episode 54 where you can learn more about these conditions and actually how to try and avoid them developing or indeed you could get in touch with us if you feel that you have any personal concerns about this area and we can then discuss how best to support you so you know don't if you're unsure um, about are you eating enough for your running and your training? Are you experiencing symptoms? Then, you know, don't try on. get in touch and we can have a conversation about it.
0: Great. Thanks, Karen. So, so far, we've learned a, a little bit about overtraining syndrome and RED-S and how they overlap in their development and also in their symptoms. Um, so what I think we should do now is just have a, a short advert break. And then we'll move on to the next topic that you wanted to share with us, Karen, which was all about dietary fibre and its potential role in sports performance. Mm. So, so we'll do that. So that this is the moment where we just take a minute to usually talk about what we do outside of the podcast. But today, uh, what I thought um, I would do, if it's okay with everybody, is just um, ask for some help um, because we, we, you know, we've been. Doing the podcast for about two and a half years now and um, you know you'll it's surprising how many topics we've been able to cover who knew there was so much to talk about when it comes to nutrition and running particularly for the midlife female runner um and uh you know it's been great that we've been able to um develop such a diverse um, range of subject material uh, to help everybody um but what we, you know, we really motivates Karen and I, is um, reaching more and more uh, female runners, and so that's why we're, today we're asking for your help. Uh, and one of the ways that we can um, reach other runners is by having more reviews on iTunes. Um, so we, we're listed on lots of different podcast platforms, but iTunes seems to be the place that a lot of people check us out first before they decide if they want to listen Um, and some people like to read a review and see what we're about. Um, So we'd be really grateful if any of you've got enough time just to take a couple of minutes to leave a review with a few words describing what you enjoy about the podcast and if there's any particular episodes that have helped you. Um, So over the last year we've been running a a free prize draw. Just to say thank you to those um, listeners who've gone to the trouble of leaving us a review, and we we do a, a draw every month. Um, and anybody who's left a review uh, goes into the draw and has the potential to win a prize, which might be um, either a, a guest pass to the Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners video program, or you could choose to have a food diary review. Uh, on a zoom consultation with us so w- often people get put off with doing reviews because it seems a complicated thing to do and i gotta say apple don't make it that easy but um just to run you through what you need to do so the best way of doing it is to use your iphone uh, or or whatever smartphone you're using and open the apple podcast app which is the the little purple logo and then um you, you need to search for the show, basically. So use the magnifying uh, icon um, and choose search and search for the show name, which is She Runs, Eats, Performs. And then you click on the show, not an episode, actually on the the artwork for the show. Uh, ours is the turquoise square. Um, and then you, you basically scroll down past the episodes and you'll find something called ratings and review and you can click on write a review which again is in purple writing and just uh, write a few words um, of whatever uh, your favorite parts of the podcast are now to enter into the free prize jaw what we ask you to do is to take a screenshot of your review before you hit submit And that's because we can't necessarily tell who you are just by seeing you review, because often you have a little um, sort of shorthand name and we don't have your email address by doing it that way. So if you um, take a screenshot and email us at Hello at Runners Health Hub and attach a copy of your screenshot um, to the email, uh, then uh, we we know who you are. We can say thank you. We can uh, put you into our monthly free prize draw and we announce a winner um, on the first of every month. And if you don't win the month that you put your uh, your review in, we just keep you in the draw uh, for as many months as it takes for you to win a prize. So you've got 12 chances per year, basically, to win. Um, so that's just uh, a little shout out, a little help that we're asking. And we hope that some of you uh, have got a minute to do that for us. Yeah, thanks for that, Amy. And Also want
1: to say a big thank you to Leslie, who gave us a really lovely review in January. So thank you, Leslie. And Leslie said that she enjoys all the information we share and the, that we are now a regular listen on her training run. So that's great to know that we're in your ears as you're running along, Leslie.
0: Yeah, thanks Leslie. We we really do appreciate your review. And um you know we wish you all the best with with your training this year so now let's move on to uh, the second part of uh, the episode karen now i think um you know many people are aware uh, about the importance of fiber in the diet for just good general health um, but also you know it can be that fiber has the potential to cause digestive issues and if you a runner you don't want digestive issues when you're out on a run i think you all know what i'm talking about um so the the general guidance for athletes and runners is to avoid eating uh, dietary fiber in the hours leading up to enduring exercise so that you don't get any digestive distress um but, you know, as nutritional therapists, we know that um, fiber is important for lots of reasons. So I'm really intrigued, Karen, to find out a bit more about the current science around this nutrient. You know, fiber is regarded as a nutrient and um, it's would be interested to know what its role is in sports uh, performance if it has one. So what can you tell us, Karen, about this topic?
1: Yeah, sort of leading on from what you've just said, Aileen, I do think as runners we tend to have a love-hate relationship with fibre because we know it is good for general health and general well-being. However, like you said, it can also lead to significant digestive issues for some people. some, uh, Some people it's absolutely fine, but for others, and I think also it depends on tolerance level, some people can have small amounts, some people can have some more, but but it can lead to symptoms, including pain and cramping, diarrhea and flatulence, and all these things that you just don't want when you're out on a run. But what some studies have noted and they were speaking about at the conference is that by limiting fiber intake, it could lead to reduced diversity um, of gut bacteria. Now, clearly, the, the research they were doing was looking specifically at athletes. And they were saying that it could reduce the diversity of an athlete's gut bacteria, as well as reducing the health of the gut bacteria. So that in itself was really interesting. Um, But what else that was really fascinating about this particular um, lecture was the focus on... The, the current studies and how they're showing that the short chain fatty acids produced from the fermentation of certain certain dietary fibers that are eaten, um, and and the fermentation of the the fiber by the gut bacteria have been shown to support performance both directly and indirectly. So um, it's not just about general health and and well being; it's about an actual performance enhancing effect so
0: that is very interesting Mm. Um, but before we go on to discuss that further i just wanted to give everyone an idea of some foods that contain this fermentable fiber that we've been talking about um so things like um Foods that include um, psyllium husk and inulin, um, which people may have heard of. But you can get these um, nutrients in things like asparagus, bananas, leeks, onion, artichoke, uh, chicory root, garlic, uh, Jerusalem artichoke, um, oats uh, and other grains and also soybeans. So you do get them in lots of different foods. But the important thing is to include them into your Food plan. So what happens is that the fibre is fermented through the digestive process into these uh, short chain fatty acids, and this happens in the large intestine by a specific bacteria. Um, and the the three key um, specific um, sorry the three key um, short chain fatty acids are called acetate, propionate, and butyrate. Which people may or may not have heard of butyrate. I think. I read about that more often now, so maybe you've heard of that. Um, And these these are produced in a ratio of 60 to 20 to 20, respectively. Um, Now, when I work with clients, um, when I'm doing gut testing um, to investigate digestive issues and also to investigate their gut microbiome status, one of the aspects that's analysed within the test is... short chain fatty acid status so that that in itself is an interesting aspect when you're doing that kind of test just to know where you are and this short chain fatty acid status is is most definitely influenced by the diet but it can also be due to a person's genetics too that they're just not um designed in a way that promotes that um part of the the digestive system Um, So I find if I, you know, do a test and and that's one of the things that is highlighted that they're depleted in short chain fatty acids, I might use nutritional supplements as a tool to support this aspect of nutritional status. And that might be a short term situation or it might be a long term situation. Um, So, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting to know that that's something that's been investigated in the sports world.
1: It is and also interesting for people to, to know that they can have their short chain fatty acid um status attested for. So thanks for, for mentioning that, Aileen. And you also highlighted something else that I think is important here. You mentioned the microbe species that is known to ferment fibre into short chain fatty acids. So it's that saccharolytic microbial species. Well, in a study that was carried out um, in various types of athletes, so athletes doing resistance exercise, endurance exercise, hit exercise, it was discovered that athletes consuming a high protein, low carbohydrate diet, which tends to be more the the strength training athletes, but you will get even endurance runners who think they should be eating lots and lots of protein and not you know, and not carbs. What they found was that they had low levels of the three specific bacteria groups within the saccharolytic species. Um, I won't say the names of them because that, that isn't the, what's important here. But these three um, specific bacteria groups are required for the production of the short chain fatty acids from fibre. So really, what's the is saying is that if you have a low complex carbohydrate intake then that's going to lead to low fiber intake which can which um like i mentioned before reduces gut bacteria diversity therefore will um lead to low short chain fatty acid production so it's a bit of a chain reaction really
0: yeah it is and um so yeah that's interesting to to know about how the you know, it's always like why have you got a why have you got low short chain fatty acid status and then if you go back it's you know you've not got the right bacteria you've not got the right bacteria because you're not eating the right food um, so yeah it's all very all very interesting how it all well, sort of ties together mm. so so we've established why we need fiber in the diet and, and that's really the main aim is to this this production of the short chain fatty acids um, but thinking about um, our listeners who are all runners, Um, could you explain now what you learned about why short-chain fatty acids are so important to an athlete?
1: Yes, and thinking about the performance aspect of that, Aileen, there are several ways in which um, short-chain fatty acids are thought to support sports performance. Now, all three of the short-chain fatty acids um, that we mentioned, so that's the acetate um, butyrate and um, propionate um, they're all involved in, um, in, in increasing overall energy expenditure and all three are also involved in altering substrate oxidation so it's thought that they will um, help increase fat metabolism or fat oxidation and reduce carbohydrate metabolism therefore Possibly what they're doing to support performance is helping to preserve those glycogen stores. So that's that's one theory. And also, the other thing that's um, important to note here is that significant amounts of butyrate is utilised in the large intestine. And there's a large uptake of propionate by the liver. However, most of acetate is transported into the peripheral blood and therefore is the most dominant short chain fatty acid found in blood plasma. Now, as a result of that, it's been found that acetate appears to be the most important of the short-chain fatty acids as an energy source in skeletal muscle because it's being um, uh, it's been transported around um, in blood to, to the muscles. And the, the, interestingly, the, um, study that they were, that, that, that they um, were looking at this idea was on endurance exercise. So including runners, cyclists, etc. So I've, I thought that was really interesting that um, they're all really important, either directly or indirectly in, perfor- in sports performance. However, acetate seems to be the most important one. Now, Uh, In addition to that, short chain fatty acids as a group are thought to help protect muscle mass. But again, it's thought that acetate is the most important one here. Now, we know as we age, muscle mass reduces. Therefore, it's thought that an increased intake of fibre in old age may help to protect the short chain fatty acid status, therefore help protect muscle mass as we age so eat your fiber everyone and also when we're exercising we naturally produce lactate now it's it's been found that some of the lactate is returned to the to the gut where it's converted back into short chain fatty acids by a a particular bacteria in the gut so again that's helping provide additional short chain fatty acids which could then support the 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 performance so there does appear to be lots of different ways that that fiber and the short chain fatty acids could be supportive for for
0: our running and for our performance yeah it's fascinating isn't it really fascinating Especially about the, you know, you, when you think about a lot of older people, and I'm, I'm really thinking of seniors and elderly, uh, they sort of tend to stop eating. You know, you hear mm-hmm. people say, "Oh, you know, my mum, my dad, they, they don't eat enough vegetables or enough fruit." <laughs> you think, well, I think if they did that early enough for long enough, then that might have an impact on their muscle and, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's another thing that we've got to consider as we're as we're getting older. Um, so I'm assuming Karen, from all the all of this, is quite new data, and I guess there's going to need to be more studies to confirm the the hypothesis of all of this.
1: Yeah, definitely, Aileen, you know, as always, there's always a need to do more research. And um, on, on top of that, I would just like to say here that, you know, a lot of these studies are rodent based. So as well as having more studies generally, there needs to be more human studies and more studies on athletes as well, just to really confirm that the results can be replicated in athletes because, you know, humans can react quite differently to rodents. Uh, but it's uh, they see that as a good place to start and then to progress from. And also, you know, my thinking is, could the potential digestive issues experienced by many athletes from consuming the fibre outweigh the potential performance benefits of it now i think this is a big question that needs to be answered and um and and it they need to have the human and athletic uh, studies to be able to determine that so it's okay saying that it does seem to be really supportive however what about the digestive issues that that we all know um, endurance athletes can experience? So hopefully they'll maybe speak about this again um, uh, next year, well, next year, this year, actually, at the end of this year. And then I'll update you um, once, I, once I know more.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's diff- it is a difficult one when you think about if you've got a digestive issue, I would say you solve your digestive issue and you get your digestive system into shape so that you don't have as many digestive issues when you are exercising. Um, But I think that also the problem is if you are, you know, an endurance runner and maybe you're doing running four or five times a week, it doesn't give you much manoeuvring on other parts of your day or week to sort of optimise your fibre intake. Uh, but there's always ways of doing it. And I think it's something that um, rather than not address the situation, I, I'd be more inclined to think get to the root of the problem, sort out the digestive system, yes. and that, that's going to help everything. Um, I always get frustrated when people say, oh, I can't eat such and such because it, it pauses this to me. And I think, well, If you had a good digestive system, it wouldn't be a problem.
1: (laughs) I I agree with that, Alien. It's about um, optimising the health of your digestive system um, to to minimise the amount of digestive issues. However, we still have to bear in mind that the digestive system changes and um, the blood supply to the digestive system is diminished the further we run. Therefore, there is going to be a natural physiological change there, which for some people might lead to, to some Digestive issues um and that's why we always speak about practicing and training because it's about yeah. training the gut mm. over long distances to be able to accept certain foods so um so i think there's a there's a there's a combination there about supporting the digestive system ensuring you take on um adequate um fiber in um in everyday uh nutrition and then sort of sort of practicing and training with with yeah. Fiber foods yeah absolutely
0: good point karen well made yes. <laughs> so we've talked mostly about fiber and the production of the short chain fatty acids um but did i was just wondering did the speaker mention about any other ways in which fiber could support uh, running performance um
1: yes he did actually, um, because like you say, it 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 was mostly focused on these short chain fatty acids that are produced from fibre, but looking at fibre as a as a whole, he did mention a study that um that concluded a high fibre diet intake appeared to be associated with lower body mass, um, an increase in lean mass. Uh, improvements in glucose balance and um, an increase in muscle strength. Now, again, that could be uh, explored further and it be found to be linked to the short chain fatty acids. But they were looking at it from a fiber point of view, and and I think all of of these aspects could either directly or indirectly support sports and more specifically for our runners support their running performance but um i don't have any more details regarding this particular study so but that's that's what he highlighted there and i, I really i would just like to finish that the, this point by saying that from all the knowledge that I've I gained on this subject during the com- the conference I think that the recommendations that we currently give our followers alien and our clients on fiber intake for training and ro- racing are really appropriate um, a, a, at least at the moment until more data is available on really how much fibre to be taking, when to be taking these fibres and the best types of fibre rich foods to be eating pre, during um, and, and post training as well, right enough. But but more about um, uh, pre and during training to support the performance and looking at it in athletes, not in mice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in other words, it's all about maintaining an appropriate fibre intake on a daily basis away from training, but practising with specific fibre containing foods pre and during training. So it's always with everything, we always say start low and build up, and that will help prevent any digestive issues occurring. Um, And remembering that foods containing fermentable fibre will be helpful but and we tend to recommend the things to eat around training including things like porridge overnight oats oat cakes flapjacks etc but remembering that tolerable amounts will be different for different people so as you say it's all about testing small amounts and building up um, yeah.
1: Hmm. yeah so basically in a nutshell what what we're seeing here is that Data is currently limited on fibre's impact on performance. However, it is widely acknowledged and accepted that it's beneficial for general health, and reducing the the risk of many chronic health conditions, and also helps prevent overweight and obesity. So, so really, our message is to keep up your fibre intake. Um, um,
0: so, would you agree with that, Yeni? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a good message to end on. And I know that we we did talk at the beginning of the episode about maybe um, giving an overview of some of the other topics that you covered while you were at the conference. But I think we're probably going to have to do that for another time, Karen, because we're sort of running out of time today. So is that okay if we um, move on to just doing a, a bit of a roundup of the key takeaways today?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Lena. I totally agree. And um sometimes it's it's better to to rather than rush anything, sort of leave it and then we can come back and, and discuss other other topics in more detail in another episode. So so just thinking about the key the key takeaways that I would want to give you. I think it's important really to remember that the information on nutrition and sport and exercise is forever evolving, like I said at the beginning, which means that we do need to keep up to date with the latest evidence-based data. And I I think that's what we do to support you. But any any information that you maybe read on social media, then it's about seeing if you can access the evidence for for what is being said, if there is any evidence being said. And and, and I think because it's forever changing, the, the information is forever changing, it can lead to confusion on what is the correct food and the correct nutrition approach for many individuals, for their health and for their running needs. And like I say, I think there's so much information out there in the media, but how much of it is evidence-based and factual rather than being sensationalist? And, and this can add to people's confusion and potentially lead to to people making the wrong choices. And then sort of just thinking about the topics that we've discussed today. Just remember that overtraining syndrome and RED-S are conditions that any runner really could inadvertently develop due to a lack of understanding of their energy needs, resulting in that low energy availability for their health and also for their training. So just bear that in mind when you're thinking about what you're eating and how much you're eating. I'm thinking about the dietary fibre. It is known, well known to have many general health benefits, but for sports performance, it may support some individuals, but it could be detrimental to others. Um, So when consuming any fibre rich food around your training, we would really advocate that you start low and build up to help reduce the risk of any detrimental effect on your training and on your performance. And then really finally, Aileen, I would just like to say that if there's anybody feeling confused about um, a lot of the information out there on social media and in magazines as well about what they should or they shouldn't be eating for their running, then do get in touch with us and we can have a conversation with you and try to alleviate any concerns that, that you may have. So do get in touch.
0: And that's it, Aileen. Great. Thank you, Karen. That's another great conversation. And I'll look forward to discuss more of the topics from the ICE event and other episodes during the year. Um, so remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening. And do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now.